From the brains behind Teal the Show, this is Teal the Podcast, your source for Jaguars news and analysis with NFL insider Mark Brunel and your host, Cole Pepper. We welcome you into Teal the Podcast, the halfway point. We are at the midway point of the season. We wow. Are, here we are, Mark. Wow. Eight games in. It, uh, it goes fast. You know, these seasons, they grow up so quickly. <laughs> it goes so fast. <laughs> so uh, good. I, I want to do a little midseason assessment here, even though there's a bye week, and we'll do this probably again after the, the game in London. But sure, we're, here we are. Uh, this team has been through three seasons' worth of drama this season. Mm. Um, Agreed. Completely. And, and, I, and I like how they've handled it. Uh, I, I, I don't think this is a super talented team. Uh, I don't think this is a team that is a Super Bowl contender. But they've got some young talent. Yes. Uh, they've got some young players who are, who are performing. Agreed. They've weathered the storm of some injuries Absolutely. so far. They've weathered the storm of Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. They've weathered the storm of... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He who shall not be named. Uh, they've weathered a storm with the Nick Foles injury. Um, I, this is a plucky little team here. Doug Marone used the word uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Resilient. A yeah. resilient team mm-hmm. able to handle this adversity. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like it's a resilient team. I feel like it's a team that actually has a lot of fight in them, regardless mm-hmm. of the circumstances around them. Yeah. Scrappy. Scrappy is a great word R- for it. Remember when Tom Coughlin t- took the job and he said, I suggest we adopt the term grit? This is a gritty team. I'd agree with as that. As it turns out. Yeah. Um, it feels like they're a close team. Yeah. Like it, they care. Like mm-hmm. it's important to them. Uh, Again, I'm I'm not in that locker room, but I don't get a sense. You're you're in there. You don't. I don't get a sense that it's that it's chippy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when you're winning games, that stuff doesn't seem to show itself. Um, but even if let's say they're, I don't know. Let's let's say they're three and five. I don't. I don't think you'd see it then either. Now, I, I like this team, Mark. I, last year, I felt as the season went on, I kind of sensed it early. But I sort of pushed it aside because they were three and one. They'd beaten the Patriots, and okay. But when the losing started, it really became apparent that this was a team that had a lot of guys who were about me, not meaning Cole Pepper. Nobody in there was about Cole Pepper. Uh, maybe that was the problem. Uh, th- there was <laughs> there was there was a lot of guys who were in there thinking, where do I get my stats? When do I get my contract? When do I? Last year as a team get to the AFC Championship game this year, hey, it's about me. This is not much of a me team at this point. Uh, even guys like Yannick Ngakwe, who very easily could be thinking it's about me, isn't behaving that way. Right. Uh, a guy who was thinking it was about me has been traded. That probably frees up a little bit. Um, I, you know, you have a lot of guys giving other players credit. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Fournette has gone out of his way to mention how Gardner Minshew has done. Yep. Um, Josh Allen giving props to Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell. Uh, I mean, it's just, there, there's, there's a lot of that going on right now. It's the way it should be. Yes, it is. It's yeah. just the way it should be mm-hmm. and how it is on most teams. I mean, these guys are a, a very good example of what team is all about. It's never about one person. And then 
when you have a, a few of those guys that are about their pro balls and their contracts and, and all this stuff, boy, it's, it, it's tough. It's tough to overcome, but this team doesn't have that right now, which is great. Can you think back to the most selfless team you played on? I can't think of one team that was better than others. Um, in our time, there were some good guys mm -hmm. that put the team first. There were hardworking guys with good attitudes. Uh, not that we didn't have our moments or that it wasn't frustrating or that at times we didn't get after each other, but I was here nine years. Eight of those years were with Coffin. One was with uh, uh, Jack Del Rio. I don't remember a bad team. Um, it would be easy to say, oh, yeah, the 14-2 the and two team was, was really close. I, I just always remember us being having good teams with good guys. Really don't remember a bad one at all. I wonder, I, I was... I remember of, some bad individuals. Sure. But we didn't allow that to... Didn't last long. Know, no, it didn't last long. I, I thought you might say 97 as a team that was very... Um, kind of pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Because you'd surprised everybody in 96 with getting to the AFC Championship game. And then in 97, you win the, the division. And everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction. You run into the Broncos in the playoffs. But it's that felt like a team that had sort of everybody pulling, pulling in the same direction um, from the outside. You were from the inside. And, yeah. Uh, but as you say, that's... That's what you want. That's what you're looking it for. It is what you want, too. And, and uh, it, it, listen, when you... It's amazing what happens to a team when you win, mm -hmm. when you're good. You think about it, 4-12 and 12 and 95 were 4-12. and 12. We're just happy to be there. Mm -hmm. We're just all glad to be on a team. Yeah. We're trades, draft picks. Yeah, uh, cast-offs. Cast-offs, you know, all this stuff. Old guys that nobody else wanted. Ne'er-do-wells. Yeah, we're just happy to be there. Mm -hmm. 96, uh, close-knit group. Got on, and then after, you know, 97, 98, 99, we got pretty good. Uh, I imagine in the losing years, the last few years of Coach Coughlin being there, um, you know, there was probably some moments, but nothing that really stands out to mm -hmm. me, Cole. I mean, that's and I think that's a credit to to Coach Coughlin of just bringing in, you know, character guys, quality guys that that understood what we're talking about, the importance of team, and and uh, but there was enough leadership too as those years went on, where that stuff wasn't going to be allowed, you know? One so. of the things I want to give some credit to on this is to the front office, Coughlin, Dave Caldwell, because of the type of individuals that were brought in this offseason. We talked about it a little bit early in the year, but guys, you know, obviously everybody's focusing on Nick Foles, but guys like Chris Conley, Najee Good, um, DJ Alexander, these are guys who are, they're solid pros. They're not, they may not be pro bowlers, but these, they're adults. You know what I mean? These are guys who are coming in with a mature attitude on this. And even drafting Josh Allen, who's certainly more mature than a lot of uh, rookies uh, will be, I think that's impacted the locker room. Yeah, I, I, yeah I think that's great to talk about this year, and, that, and that's true. And, and uh, is that a result of you know, going after a Jalen Ramsey and a Telvin Smith? I mean, this, you know, if, if you go back, they... They brought some knuckleheads in here, too. Yeah. They brought some knuckleheads mm -hmm. sure. in here. So was it a shift? Hey, let, you know what? Let's really focus on some really selfless guys, some good guys. Uh, I don't have that answer, but I know that right now everything's going well. It's, it's a great team, but the same guys that made some really good decisions as far as character guys mm -hmm. are the same guys that made you know, decisions no. to bring in guys that were kind of 
just the opposite of what we're seeing this year. Well, but I think that was a reaction to the way the locker room it went. Very last well year. could be. I really do. Yep. And I haven't had that direct conversation with Dave Caldwell about it, but I think that's I think that's you know, sometimes you just you read what happens more so than what somebody says about it. But I think that's that's been an impact here. I asked Doug Marone after the game Sunday if he thought it would be difficult to get guys focused, considering everything they've sort of weathered here with, with all the things we talked about with the injuries and the trade and so forth. If he thought now they're four and four again, they went from two and four and on the brink of disaster. Now they're four and four after beating two bad teams. Was it going to be hard to get them focused going over to London and so forth? Did, did, he, did he feel like it was going to be a situation where, oh, these guys now feel like, oh, we, we've, <laughs> we've arrived. arrived? Yeah. And he said, he said something interesting to me to the whole press conference there. He said, it's not about what I'm doing. I don't think I could personally get all of them focused. And it's about what's happening in the locker room with the players and secondarily with the, with, with the position coaches in particular, the assistant coaches. But it, it, those guys are keeping it together. Now, it's a little bit of Doug Marone deflecting some praise. Sure. Uh, but also the fact that he's saying, hey, this starts in the locker room. Um, he has done some things differently as a coach this year than he did uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it's always jived up with what Tom Coughlin has sort of wanted to set the tone with, but you know, Marone is coaching his way because his job's on the line, and he, I think it's more his tendency to um, try to promote the leadership from the ground up rather than from the top I think down. it's from him also being a, it, I totally agree with your point, uh, him being a player too. Yeah. Him having been in an NFL locker room, he gets it. He's been there. He's had coaches, uh, good coaches, bad coaches. Um, he knows what works. He knows what doesn't work. I mean, he's, it's, there's something to, and, I, and listen, when I, when I had a quarterback coach that actually played in the NFL mm-hmm. and I had a few, that's a game changer. They mm. were my favorite coaches. Not that they were better technicians or taught me better fundamentals or taught me the game, the X's and O's as much, because they could identify with me. Doug Moreau can identify with the guys in the locker room because he's been there. I think that goes a long way with the coach. And he seems kind of like one of the guys. I was talking to him before the game, and he just and I was talking to a, a former NFL guy that works for a Jets for the Jets, good friend uh, Dave Zott, longtime Kansas oh, yeah. City Chief, and and uh, yeah, you, you remember Zotter. And uh, and just and Marone just walks in like walks up to the two of us like he's just one of the guys mm-hmm. you know and and it wasn't like I was talking to a head coach in the NFL it was like I was talking to an NFL alumni you know mm-hmm. an old offensive lineman it was just he's just a dude yeah. you know he's just a dude and and uh, uh, I like it. I was with the New Orleans as you know too and so I got to experience him there but but uh, I I love that he deflects I love that he gives praise and and credits the guys that that deserve it um, I think that goes a long way. And the, and the guys see that, you know. They hear it firsthand because he's talking to them. But when they read the press clippings and they see the highlights and they, they see that Doug Marone is praising them and talking about how great they are mm-hmm. and Doug Marone not talking about how great he is and he's the motivator, gosh, that goes a long way with a football team. He's doing it right. You know, the other thing I would note is that, and we talked about how the, the leadership last year sort of splintered a little bit. You had guys pulling in different directions, having different outlooks of leadership and so forth. Some who somehow thought that Calais Campbell wasn't a guy they should follow and things like, right, just baffles you. Uh, 
some of those guys are gone now. Some have changed their tunes. And one guy in particular is Leonard Fournette, who is acting like a completely different guy this year and playing like a different guy than he did last year too, by the way. Uh, yeah. But, but that, what a difference... You know, when a young player can can turn the, the page and go, okay, well, maybe that wasn't uh, the right way. And I, again, I don't know. I'm not going to say that Leonard Fournette is you know has been reborn as this different guy. Right. But the fact that he believes he should be saying these things to reporters and, and in media in the media, yep. uh, at least illustrates that he realizes that. His image wasn't what he wanted it to be last year. You just wonder what that moment was, or was there a conversation Could with have been the, the arrest. coach, or a? Yeah, you don't know what was what made him go in a different direction. Now he's not completely a different guy or anything, but but he's playing well. Mm-hmm. He's saying the right things. He's apparently he's working hard. And he's just he's just being a professional right now, which we didn't see last year, right? And so, what was that moment? I'm always fascinated by that. You know, what what changed? Was did was it, did Terry Rubisky say something, or mm-hmm. or was it a family member, an agent, a teammate? You know, I'm sure it was a series of things, but whatever it was, um, good for him, good for the Jaguars. It makes a difference. I mean, he's your bell cow on offense. If he ain't right, nobody's right. Yeah, and he's right right now. Yeah, he no doubt about it. Um, he doesn't have the, the breakaway speed it is a rookie, but he's a better running back overall. I mean, people say, oh, he didn't t- score a touchdown on that 66-yard run. He's so a, what? He's a better running back. He's a better running back. He's a better running back, which is interesting. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But, you know, after that 66-yarder, there was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing, which, which is okay. Yeah. We knew going in that the Jets, what do they do? They stopped the run. Yeah. They were going to stop Leonard Fournette. He got that 166. And uh, which is fine, you know. I'm not saying that's against Leonard. I think there's that's still in process of us becoming a really good run uh, running football team. But uh, I think he's I think he's playing well. Catching the ball out of the backfield in the red zone in the fourth in that fourth quarter, that was huge. Converted the first down on that third that little out of the backfield wheel kind of route. Uh, I think he's doing great. How good is Josh Allen? Seven sacks, good. Yeah, that's rookie on, of the year, good. So it's on pace. The NFL rookie sack record, Javon Curse. What is it? 14 and a half. Oh, my god! So both he and Nick Bosa have seven sacks so far uh, in this season as rookies. Um, what bad teams do we have left? Uh, well, Who's the, bad? The next three are all division teams. Texans, Colts, and Titans. Who, who are all teams with 500 or better records. Everybody yeah. in the AFC Those South. Those are going to be tough. That's gonna be, this is going to be really telling That's, these that, this is, And we're going to talk about that stretch here in just a moment. Yeah. Um, the Raiders are still on the schedule, still to come. Um, I'm trying to think other Buccaneers. Ba- Buccaneers are on the schedule. Uh, but, but bad teams. Like, I don't think the Raiders right now are really they they don't bad. they don't have a, a Cincinnati or Jets team yeah. still still left. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. You know, things can change in a hurry in the Absolutely. National Football League. Listen, we're at a place right now at four and four. You know this as well as anybody. It could go in any direction. Yep. You know, I love that we won the last two games. Had Everybody to. does. Had to, though. Had to. But those teams were bad. Mm-hmm. Really bad. And for uh, some moments there in the last two games, those were ball games. Mm. For, yeah. Those yeah, there, were ball games. There was a moment. I, <laughs> so, I don't know if, I don't know if you, you, you saw that. I, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I tweeted, after three quarters, here are some stats, as we begin the inevitable march towards a Jaguars victory. And 
Then a minute and a half later, the Jets score a touchdown, <laughs> yeah. and now it's a one-score game. And I've got people tweeting at me, why did you do that? Why did you just jinx them? <laughs> I did see that. Uh, and it was inevitable, as it turned out. Um, so this is the key point. So we talked about October being the month that was going to define the pathway of this season. I think we were wrong. I don't think so, because here's now we know the path. The path is... Can we, it's, just, it's, it's November now. Well, back then in October seemed right, but it's really November. But here's here's why: because without doing what they did in October, if they had lost one of those two games, oh, they're done. You're, then they're you're done. exactly right. right. They're, so now they're, they're standing there on the pedestal with a chance to take a step off the next three games. There's a bye week mixed in, but in, mm-hmm. the, in November, three games against the other three teams in the division. Now we'll find out if they're going to be contenders for the division or if they're going to be scrambling. F- for that last wild card spot or something somewhere along the way. I don't think they need to beat Houston in order to to be a contender. Mm-hmm. I think they do need to win two out of three of these games against division opponents over the next four weeks. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you on that. And we're going to find out really how good we are. We, You know, we'll find out how good we are. And really what's looming, which is, is very interesting to me, is what is Doug Mar- Marone going to do at the quarterback position? Mm-hmm. This is the huge question. You keep jumping because ahead it, to the next chapter here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> let's a lot talk of, about I got a lot on my plate today. I got, let's, let's, <laughs> let's go. Let's go, Pepper. I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's talk about this because right now, I'm sticking with Gardner Minshew. Right now, I'm going with Foles. Really? Yes. Okay, old man. Tell me why. Uh, let's just say, uh, no, I'm, I, I, it's, it's not an easy one. It, it's not an easy one at all. Um. On the sidelines yesterday, talking to a couple guys in the uh, the Jaguars, guys in the know, offensive guys, uh, not coaches, players, former players that are kind of in there. Um, listen, Gardner Minshew is playing really, really well, but I've heard that as you know, rookies and and in, in his defense, he's he hasn't played a lot. He's missing some things. Should be getting into some plays. Should be getting out of other plays. Uh, that's a big part of playing the position. But then you, but then you look. You're like, gosh, he look. But look, look at his numbers. Right. Look how he's playing. He's clearly got the hot hand. The team has embraced him. Um, I'm still going with. I'm still going to go with Foles. I've got um, three reasons why I'm going the other way. Okay. Number one, I'm not sold on this offensive line. Uh, and his escapability. Yep. His athletic. Ability, his ability to make plays on the run yep. is much better than Nick Foles, who is a very stationary quarterback. Very true. I think that because of that, that gives you a better chance of, of making plays um, because he can move around much better than Nick Foles can. Think of the plays that Gardner Minshew has played because he is mobile. Yes. And if he didn't have that, we would be begging for Nick Foles right now. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. The, to your point, the mobility is, has made him play at a very high level. The Chris Conley touchdown yesterday, yes. the DJ, DJ Chark, Chark touchdown. Yep. So there are quite several others where he's, he's getting away. So that's number yep. one. Number two, when you talk about the way that the team is responding to him, um, on the team radio broadcast after the game, Jeff Logman's interviewing Brandon Linder, and Linder's just laughing and going, like, I can't believe he's making these plays. DJ Chark's like, yeah, I'm just running around, and and I, I know that he's gonna, you know, I, I lost lost track of him, but I knew he was gonna come out of there and make a play. These guys, 
the players are, I don't know if in awe is the right thing, but the mm-hmm. players are impressed with Gardner Minshew above and beyond. They know he's a gunslinger. They, they, the, the, the offensive players are liking that. And yeah. I'm not, it's not against Nick Foles, but those guys are excited about Gardner Minshew. Then my third, my third point is this. Coaches almost always choose the player they trust over a player who may have a better ability or, or better skills or whatever, if they trust him more. I think Gardner Minshew is winning the trust, even though Doug Marone is, is a bit of an old-school guy and that he would almost always go with a veteran over a rookie. The way he's talking about Minshew, about, you know, the, the, the way he described him yesterday was that he's not playing like the, like the way he was brought into the league as a sixth-round pick. Right. This is not the way he's playing right now. He's so, he can be so much better, but he's been so much better than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's starting to erode that thing because, again, Doug Marone needs this season for job security. Yep. And I think that if the, the locker room hadn't responded the same way and if, and if Minshew hadn't made as many plays as he had, uh, and hasn't shown as much of the mental side of the game, that Marone might go in the other direction. But just because he's... If, if Gardner Minshew's a second-year player who really didn't play much last year, I think this would be a, a more more tilted toward him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this conversation. Just because he has that, you know, that rookie tag, it plays against him a little bit. One of the uh, guys that works for the Jaguars, uh, I asked him the question, you know, what, what do you do, you know? Who do you go with? And, and, and he said, you know, I, I think it depends on how, how they look at practice. That kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah. What do you mean how to, how to look at practice? Right. You know, well, if, if, you know, if Nick is, is comfortable and he's moving around a little bit and his throwing motion's good and he feels confident, and, you know, and, and uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking this is, certainly you evaluate this thing on more than just practice. And, of course, they will. Another question is, is this, whose decision is this? It's a huge question. Whose decision is this? Is, is this is this does Mr. Khan let the coach coach and decide, or does he step in and say, you know what, I'm giving that man twenty something million dollars, he's playing. There are three guys who this could come down to in terms of the decision makers: Shad Khan, Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone. Mm. Which of those three is really making the call? Right. I don't think that Tom Coughlin is going to make the call on this. Because if he does, now, if it comes to the end of the season and they're 8-8 eight and eight and somebody's got to make, you know, mm-hmm. or they don't get there all the way, whatever. Nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody, yes. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to be wrong. Right. And I think from a coaching situation, you sure as heck know that if Tom Coughlin was the coach and there was a, a senior vice or executive vice president of football operations trying to tell him who to play at quarterback, yeah, yeah. Any of that. Yeah. Uh, ult- I think ultimately this is going to be Doug Marone's call. I think he I will agree. get input from other people. I if agree. he gets input from Shad Khan, watch out. Because, again, remember the human element to this. After last season, Doug Marone knows that his job's on the line. And if somebody else is telling him how to coach, even if it's the owner, how do you respond to that? Right. Uh, now, listen, maybe they're on the same wavelength, and maybe maybe the money does matter. I don't think the money should matter right now. I totally you're, agree. You're paying him one way or another. But remember who our owner is, too. It's not just about how much I'm paying. 
It's also about how much am I making in number 15 jerseys, mm -hmm. too. That's true. The business side of it, yeah. I, you know. And, and let's be honest, Shad Khan likes a splash. He is not a, you know, a guy you go, well, he's very modest for a billionaire. Have you seen his yacht? <laughs> Gardner Minshew is the splashy guy right now. Absolutely. You know, Nick Foles was a splashy signing, but Gardner Minshew right now is a splashy player. Yep. Uh, so if, if I can't wait till this goes down, so it, I can't well, wait. It's going to be now, so fun. By the way, this will be an easy decision. If he struggles against the Texans, even without JJ Watt, by the way, who's not going to play in that game. He's done for the year. Torn. If he rolls in the next two weeks, next, next week. Yeah. Not two weeks. Cause there's a bye. Yeah. If he plays poorly, it's Nick Foles. If he has the same kind of game he had yesterday, you got to. You have to stay with him, don't you? I don't know. Come on. It's. I don't know. Listen, I understand all these other. Th because you can't afford, you can't afford Gardner Minshew to play like he did against the Saints. Well, but here's you're the done. Thing. But here's the thing. The Jaguars are not in a must-win situation, right? If they beat Houston, like we just said, they have to win two out of three yeah. in the division. If so, if, if they beat Houston and you stick with Minshew. And you just hold back a little. There's nothing that says once Nick Foles is eligible to come back, he has to play. Right, of course. You can you can delay that yeah. that decision. And if Minshew doesn't play well, you can always put Foles back in there. And here's so you mentioned this last week. And I and I think this I think this is significant. You can if you you if you put Foles in, uh, you, you once you once you pull Minshew, you've got Foles in. And it's Foles the rest of the way. Has to be. Has to be. Can't pull him. If you put Foles in with Minshew playing well, and Foles struggles a little bit, once Ooh. you put Minshew back in, now all of a sudden, there's your quarterback controversy for the offseason, although there may be one anyway. Could be. Um, so, yeah, I, I, what happens with Gardner Minshew in London is going to be a huge part of this equation. Texans are beat up, too. J.J. Watt out. Yes. Yep. I guess a lot of the secondary beat up. I don't know if they're coming back. Uh... The other storyline with Houston, by the way, is going to be how the Jaguars cover the DeAndre. Houston re receivers, in particular DeAndre Hopkins. In the past... Is Will Fuller coming back? Is it Will Fuller, the other receiver? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's back for this game or not. Uh, I will say this, though. In the past, there was a very clear plan in terms of coverage with... Some fellow whose name escapes me right now. Two who, who would who would man up on on Hopkins? I can tell you this: DeAndre's going to get his. Mm -hmm. Take away the other. <laughs> He's going to get his. Now you just try to make that not like a career day yeah. kind of thing. He's going to he's going to get his catches. Mm -hmm. He'll get ten catches. You try to keep him out of the end zone, but he's he's just so good. You can't stop him. You just hope to limit guys like that. So you know? do you do that with double coverage a lot on that side? Let Boye cover Fuller on the other side if that's the situation? Sure. I mean... I, <laughs> let me text I'm Todd Walsh. I'm asking the quarterback about how to cover somebody. Uh, it did, I had Jimmy Smith. I didn't care what you did. And Jimmy and Keenan. Oh, he's not open. I'll throw it to Keenan. Oh, Keenan's not open. I'll throw it to Jimmy. It's probably Pretty a easy. way that really John simple. Watson is feeling about this thing. You can't be right. When you got two good ones, well, you can't be, the defense can't be right. It, we're, we're at the, the midseason point again. Jaguars are four and four. I will remind you that at the beginning of the season, I thought the Jaguars would be eight and eight. I picked win loss, win loss on the on the uh, when the schedule came out. So far, I've gotten all eight games right. From I that would take. Prediction. Would you? Would you take nine and seven right now? Yes. 
Yes. I would too, I don't actually. think he gets you into the playoffs. Yeah, I but, would take 9-7. But 9-7 and seven. I, but, but nine and seven is a good year, and I will tell you this. One way or another, this offseason is going to be quite a conversation starter because there's going to be a quarterback controversy. I was going to bring up off-season quarterback moves, but we'll save that for down the line. All right, we'll save that for down the line. Uh, we will invite you to join us for the Mark Brunell Show every Monday at Sneakers, Jacksonville Beach, even on the bye week and after the London trip. You're not going to London this year. I am not. Yeah, neither am I, so we'll be well-rested and uh, ready to do that show. Uh, and we'll have more on the Jaguars coming up every Monday and Friday night at 11.20 p.m. on Channel 4 with Teal the Show. You can get Teal the Podcast anywhere you find your finer podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And as always, you can find Teal the Podcast under the Sports tab on News4Jacks.com. For the somewhat conflicted Mark Brunel, <laughs> I'm Cole Pepper. Thanks so much for tuning in to Teal the Podcast.